Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. The title of the message, The Three Sons of Who? The Three Sons of Who? Matthew chapter 7, we'll look at verses 13 through 15. And Brother Steve, would you lead us in prayer, please, sir? Father, thank you again for your to our hearts through it. Let's give pastor the words to say. Lord, encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth where? To destruction. And how many? <clears throat> many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and what? Few there be that find it. Verse 15. Beware of who? False prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So Jesus warned us here um, to beware that there would come along, verse 15, false prophets, and they would come in sheep's clothing. You know, we are so easily tricked in life. There are just so many evil people. If you're on the computer at all, um, you'll, you'll get emails saying, you know, hey, there's some bill due, and, you know, we need this or that from you, and just all kinds of tricks to try to deceive us. Um, and you think, think of everything and anything in life that makes it difficult or unenjoyable. Just stop for a moment. What in your life makes your life difficult or unenjoyable in ways? Um, it might be very cold weather. It might be very hot weather. It might be very snowy weather or very rainy weather. I'm putting the word very on there because some of you like certain, some like snow, some may like rain, some like it cold, um, some like it a little hotter. Um, pain, disease, lies, theft, war, death, difficulty learning in school, hard work, very hard work, makes you sweat. Pain and childbearing, and on and on. Things in life that, that make life difficult or unenjoyable. You know, everything I just mentioned can be traced back to one conversation. One conversation caused all of that, all of those extremes. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 3, and get this. That one conversation was discussing Scripture. Every, every hardship that we face goes back to this one conversation, and it all started about Scripture, what God has said. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, what? Hath God said? 
He shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He's quoting God. How can it be that every hardship we have ever faced goes back to a conversation about Scripture? And yet it does. Why do all the hardships go back? I mean, normally, wouldn't you think if you had a uh, discussion about Scripture tomorrow with someone, I mean, normally, wouldn't you think, hey, that's good. But in this case, the, the false prophets of all false prophets, the master false prophet, the master wolf in sheep's clothing was at it here. This was no innocent conversation. This was Satan working through the serpent. Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Whoops. Well, now we're adding to what God said. He didn't say they couldn't touch it. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Oh, and here we go. Here's the first contradiction. Flat out saying, what God said is not right. That's what the serpent said here, Satan. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, and your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here it is, the very first time in history where someone is accusing God of not being fair, of not being concerned about our best interest. The first accusation that God is selfish he has all wisdom and he wants to keeps it. He wants to keep it to himself. All these first-time accusations here. It all started. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So this premeditated attack upon Eve by Satan was no innocent conversation about Scripture. It was premeditated to cause her and all mankind to fall. And, and we did. All mankind fell. So, so in Matthew 7, 15, where it warns, Jesus warns us, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Notice also in Acts 20, it wasn't the only accusation about wolves. <clears throat> uh, Acts 20 and verse 26. We'll read 26 through 29. So Acts 20, 26 through 29. Wherefore I take, to you, take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you what? All the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous what? wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The, the three sons of who? In Europe, the, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages the Catholic Church had a stranglehold on the European nations. But a man by the name of Martin Luther nailed a paper with 95 theses that he had to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. 
Um, he condemned the excesses of, and corruption of the Roman Catholic Church, and it's traced to the beginning of the Reformation that took place. Um, offshoots of the Reformation, many, many different churches and denominations have come off from the Reformation. Um, and I just went through some different lists, and they kind of listed them in order of the closest to the Catholic Church to, to the furthest. They listed the first as the Anglican Church, and they said probably most like the Catholic Church, except the King of England was made its head instead of the Pope. Then they listed the Lutheran Church, named after Martin Luther, the man who nailed the thesis to the church door. After that, the Reformed Church, uh, John Calvin would be prom a prominent name there. And then they listed the Anabaptist Church. It's the Anabaptist Church that I would like to talk about tonight because I had a question about some of their doctrine. So, um, so that's why the study. The name Anabaptist means to re-baptize. But these people with these certain beliefs did not like that name because they did not believe they were re-baptizing people because all of these previous churches that come out of the Catholic Church, out of the Reformation there, uh, would still baptize babies, uh, but the Anabaptists would not. And so the people gave them that name that you couldn't become a member of their church. And of course, we, we could talk a while about what it would take to be a member of that church. But um, the point is, is that to get into that church, one of the things is you had to be baptized after you made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, but they didn't like that name because they didn't believe they were rebaptizing people because they said sprinkling a baby is not baptizing a baby. So we're, we are not rebaptizing people. We are baptizing them for the first time in the proper manner, under the water, and so on. So, but despite the fact they didn't like that name, it stuck. Um, it's like, you know, sometimes uh, people get nicknames in life um, that you don't like, but they stick because everyone picks up on it and starts using it. So out, here's the three sons. Out of the Anabaptist stream that came out of the Reformation, came three other groups and churches. Number one is Amish. Number two is Mennonites. And number three is the Brethren. Um, and of course, there will be variations in all of these groups, uh, as there are in any religious group. Uh, there's huge variations in Baptist churches. They can be quite unlike each other. But anyway, the Amish. Well, we have Amish in this area, so we know. Um, normally, the Amish do not believe in having electricity in their homes. Um, they do not believe in owning vehicles, uh, although they will gladly take a ride in your vehicle to town. Uh, the Millers, Ken and Janet Miller, lived uh, up north of Turk Lake, and uh, they trucked many of an, an Amish person to the grocery store to town to do their things and, um, and use, let them use it, their telephone. Um, so, like, electronic things like that. Although, uh, you know, I've heard since then that Amish use gasoline-powered saws and stuff in their, um, 
sawmills. They have sawmills. They do a lot of woodworking. Uh, <clears throat> so, but we, we know the Amish in this area. They ride in horse and buggies, and we feel sorry for them in the dead of winter, and they're going down the road. It's freezing cold, and they're in a buggy behind a horse, no heater. Um, so, you know, we feel for them there. Um, farming, they don't use tractors. Um, they use horses to pull plows and different implements. So um, they dress very conservative, normally very dark colors, um, very much ease to their garments. Um, they dress very modestly. <clears throat> so that's, that's one of the sons of the Anabaptist movement that came out. The other one is Mennonites, um, a little different. There are also Mennonites around here, more toward Carson City. Um, there's a Mennonite uh, mechanic <clears throat> east of town um, before Sheridan. Uh, we've stopped and talked to him before. Um, so obviously Mennonites don't seem to have a problem with vehicles, with electricity. Um, that mechanic, uh, that's, his, that's his living, is working on heavy equipment, tractors and, and things like that. Um, the Mennonite ladies um, wear dresses, but um, they're, not, they're not like the Amish. You can normally tell a difference easily. Um, um, the Mennonites would wear lighter colors instead of dark. Um, their hemlines are probably not going to be as long as the Amish. Um, their garments are not going to have as much ease as the Amish. Um, and on their heads, they're not going to have <clears throat> a full veil normally, but have some type of something <laughs> up there, of embroidered cap or maybe a fancy little bonnet. Um, and it, it will vary between different Mennonites, obviously. But so, so you can normally tell the difference between the Amish and the Mennonites when you see them. Um, then there's the Brethren. That's also another offshoot out of Anabaptist movement. Um, with the Brethren, um, and once again, you'll, you'll see variations, I'm sure, but um, when I see a person in the Brethren Church, I normally don't know they're in the Anabaptist movement, in that stream. Um, they're, I mean, you, you might see a person in a Brethren Church and not, and not think modesty when you see the person. It might not be something that comes to your mind. Um, the use of vehicles, electricity, obviously, that wouldn't be a, a problem to them. These are just general observations, you understand. So, but anyway, I, I dug into this Anabaptist belief, and, and I did a lot of research on Anabaptist.org, but here are some of the things, and because I became very concerned, because they are trying to hide the fact, the Anabaptists, are trying to hide the fact that they do not believe in eternal security. And it was distressing to see how they tried to hide it. <clears throat> but anyway, eventually comes out if you read their writings enough. Um, one thing they said from that site was, the scriptures teach that redemption is all of God, but salvation is conditional and based upon a conscious act of our will in the exercise of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> their terminology is not all at all our terminology. When, when they say exercise their faith, 
Now, we may think, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When they say exercise faith, it's talking about works, doing something. Um, and the whole foundation of this and all these other groups is this. How do we know that we are saved? And how do we know that it is secure? The bottom line is this. We know that we are not righteous. We know that we are sinners. And we know that our only hope of salvation is to have Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. Our only hope of salvation is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. All, if, if, whether it's a stream out of the Anabaptist movement or whatever group it is, if they believe they can lose their salvation, then their salvation is not based totally upon the righteousness and blood of Jesus Christ. Because if there's something they can do to lose it, then it depends upon them doing certain things to keep it. And that is a works salvation. That is, that is a sheep, that's, that's a wolf coming along in sheep's clothing. Okay, so they are trying to make a distinction between redemption and salvation. Let me read it again. The scriptures teach that redemption is all of God. But salvation is con conditional. Is there any difference between redemption and salvation? What is salvation? Salvation is being redeemed from our sins. Salvation is having the payment. What is the wage of our sin? Death. Salvation is having that penalty Paid. Who paid the death penalty for us? Jesus. Is there anyone else that could pay that penalty for us? No. Why? Because every one of us has been born in sin. We're all sinners. Ever since that first conversation about Scripture, and Eve fell, Adam fell, ever since, everyone has been born a sinner. There is no other person that qualifies that could die for us and pay our sin. Um, let's look at Revelation 5. Re Revelation 5 and verse 9. Revelation 5, verse 9. Is there, any, is there any distinction in the Bible between redemption and salvation? No. Salvation is being us being redeemed from our sin. Revelation 5, 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast what? Redeemed us to God by what? Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. There's only one way to be redeemed. And notice it says out of every kindred, tongue, and people and nation. It doesn't matter what nation what nationality a person is, 
That makes no difference. There's only one way to be saved. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, and verse 18, 1 Peter 1, 18. For as much as you know that you were not, what? Redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with what? The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, when we get saved, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed upon us. When we trust in Him, when we ask Him to save us based upon His death for us on the cross. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Now then, we, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be what? He reconciled to God, for he hath made him, so it's talking about Jesus, for he hath made him to be what? Sin for us who knew no sin. Now, the who knew no sin is not referring to us, because obviously, the verse says, he, Jesus was made sin for us. So the one who knew no sin is Jesus. That's who that's referring to. That we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. It's all of him. It's nothing of us. Um, notice in, in Galatians 3. Galatians 3.13. So the Anabaptists try to make a distinction between redemption and salvation, saying that redemption is all of God, but salvation is conditional. In other words, it's dependent upon if we keep doing certain things. You know, groups like this, what they are totally missing is the place of chastisement. Because they say, well, if you believe once saved, always saved, and on that site they were kind of mocking that, the once saved, always saved crowd. Um, they say if, if a person really believed that, they'd go out and sin whatever they wanted to do. Um, you know what? That is not true because you know what? We go off sinning, and you know what? God is going to come after us. He's going to chasten us. He's not going to let us do uh, on and on what, what we want to do. Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13. The Bible says who? Christ. Christ hath what? Redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on what? A tree. What tree is this talking about? The cross. So it's saying that Christ redeemed us on a tree. Christ took the curse for us on a tree. What tree? The cross. You can't, you can't separate redemption from salvation. Salvation is redemption from our sin. Um, notice in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. 
Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, who's the, who's the son? Jesus. In whom we have what? Redemption. Redemption through what? His blood. Even the what? Forgiveness of sins. What is salvation? The forgiveness of sins. You, you can't separate redemption from salvation. They're, they're one and the same. And it's all through Christ. Nothing um, through us. Um, notice in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You know, the Lord warned us that wolves would come along in sheep's clothing. We need to beware. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than being now what? Justified. Justified by what? His blood we shall be what? Saved from wrath through him. Do you see how these verses show that you can't separate redemption from salvation? It's, it's, it's very clear. Verse 9, we're justified by his blood and we are saved. So, um, so once again, the, the Anabaptists say the scriptures teach that redemption is all of God. But salvation is conditional and based upon a conscious act of our will in the exercise of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, they go on to explain that further, lest, lest you think, well, maybe you just read it wrong. Listen to this. I continue to quote them. The scriptures also teach that a person who continues to exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ is secure. But when a person begins to neglect his spiritual life, he will come to the place where he is not truly exercising saving faith in Jesus Christ. He may continue to say he believes, but it is only a verbal belief and not a conscious exercise of the will to live for God. Listen to this. That is all that saving faith is. A conscious exercise of the will to, get this, to always do what we believe the Bible teaches. When a person continues to habitually practice sin, he ceases to be a believer and is no longer a Christian. Let me look at that phrase again. They, they define exercising your faith as, this is all that saving faith is, a conscious exercise of the will to always do what we believe the Bible teaches. Is there anyone here tonight that always does what the Bible teaches? No. Well, then, according to their definition, none of us are saved. 
Not a one. And, of course, their definition is wrong. Um, look, look, look at 1 John chapter 1. That is why in amongst those groups, there, there will be subgroups that will say, you can get to the point where you no longer sin. Uh, well, they just sinned then. 1 John 1, 8. 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have what? No sin, we what? Deceive ourselves and what? The truth is not in us. Let's read that again. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, these groups always have a pet list of sins that supposedly cause you to lose your salvation. And here is another thing I want to warn you of. If you talk to an Anabaptist, now some groups still retain just the name Anabaptist, um, but out of that stream will come the Amish, uh, the Mennonites, and um, the Brethren. And if, if you ask a, a person in that group, do you believe you can lose your salvation? All I can say is this group, Anabaptist.org, their answer would be no. We don't believe you can lose your salvation. Then ask them this question. Do you believe that a person can cease to believe? Do you, do you believe a person can be saved and then cease to believe and not be on their way to heaven? And if they answer honestly, they'll say, yes, I do believe that a person can cease to believe Thus, their salvation is conditional. They no longer have salvation. But I found it very interesting that they do not like to agree. If you ask them, do you believe you can lose your salvation? In this group, they'll say, no, we don't believe you can lose your salvation. That is deceitful. Because they really do but they're playing a word game with you. So um, it's, it's very clear. <clears throat> Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, well then what about, does that just mean we can, we can sin and, and not worry about anything? Look in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye what? That ye sin not. That is still the standard. Sin not, but read on. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and notice this. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the who? The righteous. You see, if a person has salvation, they have the righteousness of Christ. And if they don't have the righteousness of Christ, they do not have salvation. They're just trusting in themselves. They do not have real salvation. Verse 2, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Um, notice in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, a, sheep, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
playing word games, trying to hide what they really believe. In John chapter 10 and verse um, 28, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them what? Eternal life. You see, the Bible, there's no such thing in the Bible about conditional salvation. What what does conditional mean? Conditional means you have to meet certain conditions, or you've lost it. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall what? Never perish. God says he gives unto us eternal life. If salvation could be lost, then this would be a false promise. It would not be eternal life. It would be probation. It would be, okay, if you will repent of your sins and ask me to save you, I will give you probationary life. I will give you a limited warranty salvation. If you keep doing a set of things that I say, then you'll keep saved. If you don't, then you will not keep saved. On a a limited warranty, there are certain things that can break the warranty. Um, Sometimes it it will say, um, if you do any tampering with the device, it, it breaks the warranty. If you try to open it up and tinker with it, and you can't fix it and bring it back, the, the warranty is void. It says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So, um, <clears throat> I quote from them once again. They say, The Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Romans says that if we live after the flesh, we shall die. So, this is them speaking. So, it is possible for a Christian to come to the place where, when he dies spiritually and is no longer a Christian. My friends, that is a false gospel. That is a false gospel. Um, and, then they, and then they say, but... But when you lose yourself, well, they don't use that terminology. They say, but when you cease to believe and you're no longer a Christian, you don't have to get born again, again. You just have to go back to the place of where you cease to believe and then suddenly you're a Christian again. You'd have to read it to believe it. But they they maintain they don't believe in getting born again, again. Um, Notice in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, in verse 24, John 5, 24. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and what? Believeth on him that sent me, hath what? Everlasting life. You see, salvation is always only given in Eternal terms, everlasting, eternal. He that believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall what? Not come into condemnation, but has passed from what? Death unto life. God says when we get saved, we pass from death unto life. 
And he says, we will not come into condemnation. Well, if we could cease to believe and lose... There I go again. You can't use that terminology. Uh, if you cease to believe and cease to be a Christian, um, then you would come into condemnation. So that wouldn't be true. Um, so beware. Um, if, if you ask one of them, if you believe you'd lose your salvation, be, be aware they're going to answer deceitfully your question. Um, I'll quote again here from them. When a person begins to live in sin and disobey the scriptures, it is because he does not really believe the scriptures. Is that true? Let me read it again. When a person begins to live in sin and disobey the scriptures, it is because he does not really believe the scriptures. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that when a professing Christian sins, it's because they no longer believe the Bible? No. There are a lot of times when Christians sin, and they might be fearful of it because they do believe the Bible, and they are fearful of what, how God may chasten them. So that is not true. But they say when a person begins to live in sin and disobey the Scriptures, it is because he does not really believe the Scriptures. When a person can habitually practice those things that the Bible labels sin, they cease to believe, be a believer. They cease to be a believer. Um, well, our time is getting away here, but um, I just, there, it's just such a deceitful thing. In, in closing, let's go to Hebrews 12. Well, actually, there's a couple ones. Let's go to Hebrews 12 and then one other passage. What does take place when we sin? Hebrews 12, 6. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with what? Sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. What is it saying here? It's saying if a person can sin and not face chastisement, that person is not a son. That person is not saved. Um, notice also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in regard to the Lord's Supper, um, just how far can chastisement go? If I just go off my way, and of course these groups like this um, will say, well, if I believe once saved, I always say, I'd just go out and do anything I wanted to. Well, then would you have been really sincere about your salvation to begin with? No. If a person would say, well, I'm going to say this prayer so I can go to heaven, and then I'm just going to live like the devil. That is not true repentance and salvation at all. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 11, 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh what? 
Mm, damnation. Now, what does that mean? That, that sounds like really serious. Is that like lose your salvation? Or is that like ceasing to believe? He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are what? Weak and sickly among you and what? Many sleep. How far can chastising, chastising go? God can chastise us to the point where he says, it's time for you to come home because I can't trust you down here anymore. When I was a boy, um, during the regular church services in the morning, they had junior church downstairs. Do you know what the ultimate chastisement was if one of those children wouldn't obey? The ultimate thing holding over their head was this, if they wouldn't listen to repeated warnings. They would say, I'm taking you upstairs to your parents. That is the ultimate chastisement of a true born-again Christian. If that Christian will not obey the Lord and goes off in sin, the ultimate chastisement is, verse 30, weak, sickly, sleep, death. Now, does that mean, then, um, that this person... Is not saved. No, read on. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are what? Chastened of the Lord. And look at this phrase. Don't miss this phrase. That we should not be what? Condemned with the world. What is the condemnation of the world? It's hell. It's hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That is the condemnation of the world. And the Lord says here, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. It's not holding over our heads the loss of salvation. Um, Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The judgment seat of Christ. What would happen If we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and everything we've ever done is consumed by the flame. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 3.13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned... He shall suffer loss. Uh Uh-oh. What does this mean? How bad can it get? If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be what? Saved, yet so as by fire. At the judgment seat of Christ, there is nothing hanging over the Christian's head saying, you know what, if you do poorly enough in this, you're getting booted into hell. Nothing says that. No, it says these people will be saved yet so as by fire. At the, the, the Lord's Supper, there's, God, God can chasten weakness, sickness, death, but there is nothing insinuating loss of salvation. No. He, he, to, to the contrary, that this person will not be condemned with the world. 
Um, well, in closing, let's go to Matthew 7, then, Matthew chapter 7. So we're back with the wolves in sheep's clothing. God tells us, God warns us that they will come. And Matthew 7, 15, beware of who? False prophets, which come to you in what? Sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravening wolves. You see, some of these groups dress very modestly and seem very religious and seem willing to give up anything in this world for God. Beware of sheep's clothing. Beware of the doctrine that abides within. Jesus told us, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And isn't it interesting to go down to uh, verse 20? Wherefore, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the first word of verse 22? Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Who were they following? Who are they following that taught them to prophesy in the Lord's name? Who are they following that taught them to cast out devils in the Lord's name? Who were they following to, to do many wonderful works? Well, verse 23 says, Jesus speaking, And then will I profess unto them, what? I never knew you. Now he's talking about people who are not saved. Now he's talking, he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now he's talking about people that do not have salvation. But he clearly says, verse 23, for those of you who have followed these wolves in sheep's clothing, I never knew you. The Bible never teaches that salvation can be lost. The Bible never teaches a person can cease to believe and lose the salvation or cease to have the salvation that they once had. No, he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. It's not that they were saved and lost. It's not that they believed and then ceased to believe. He, Jesus is going to tell them, I never knew you. The question tonight for us is, on what is our salvation resting? Is it in Christ alone? Is it truly in Jesus on the cross, paying the death penalty that all of us deserve? Is our faith upon him and his righteousness? Because if it's not on him only, then we don't have it at all. We don't have it at all. It's either all his righteousness or we are still under the condemnation of sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us, Lord. Because when we see people in sheep's clothing and we hear them often use sheep's terminology, we're pretty easily convinced that they're sheep. 
But in fact, you've warned us about wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves that like to talk like sheep. Wolves that like to deceive sheep. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight. You tell us to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. Is our faith totally in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? The perfect one, God in the flesh, who gave his perfect sinless blood on the cross for us. If our hope is anything but that, if our hope depends upon us and our righteousness, we are doomed, condemned forever to hell. I pray that in every soul here tonight, Christ would be their righteousness, their only hope. Have your way in our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen.